Salutations. Welcome, everybody, to Keyboard Kimura on Wednesday, June 28th. I am We are here for one question for every fight for UFC Vegas 76, which takes place this weekend, Saturday, July 1 at the UFC Apex. I can't believe it's already July. We're already halfway through the year. This is wild to me. Before we get to the show, I want to offer an apology. The plan for me this week was to be here on Monday with a podcast, to be here on Tuesday with an episode of A Conversation With, and those plans went sideways. It is 7.35 p.m. Pacific time as I am recording this. In addition to just having a load of work to do for International Fight Week, because it is one of the busiest weeks of the year, we're into the year-end awards, we're into IFL, there were some travel issues with the guests that I want to have on a conversation with this week or in future was originally the plan for this week will be on in future weeks. And so it's just been an adjustment. Unfortunately, there are going to be times like this where I can't just push everything aside or, or find the time, build the time into my day to do the show that I want to do. And, and trust me when I tell you, I want to be here doing these shows. I want to be putting out podcasts every week. I want to be doing ACW every week. They are things that I love, things that I enjoy, but I need to tackle the stuff that pays the bills first. And so OSDV Sports gets written. All the stuff for UFC.com gets written. And then if we get to the end of the day, there's enough time to tape a show in addition to spending some time with my wife, taking my dog for a walk. It's ridiculously warm out here in Abbotsford right now. So we're sort of delaying when we take Biggie out for his evening stroll. That pushes into the evening. I apologize. I want to be here more frequently for you. I will do my best to do that going forward and let you know on Twitter, on Instagram, if I'm not going to be around. That will be my promise to you. As I said, though, we are here for one question for every fight for UFC Vegas 76, headlined by Sean Strickland and Magomed, sorry, Abbas Magomedov, not Sean Strickland and Magomed Ankalaev. That's where my head was going. They're sparring partners at times. At Extreme Couture, that's why it hit me. Sean Strickland, Abus Magomedov, my question here is the one that has perplexed me from the time this fight was announced, and it is, do folks really need to see Magomedov beat middling veterans? So when this fight was announced, there was the instant, like, who is this guy from the usual voices that are critical and frustrated by every decision the UFC makes? And I get it because Abus Magomedov has had one fight in the UFC. It was last September in Paris. It lasted 19 seconds. It came against Dustin Stoltzfus, who has subsequently been released from the promotion, struggled to have success in the UFC. And so on one hand, I get it, right? It's very seldom that we see a UFC sophomore in a headlining matchup, especially against a top 10 opponent like Sean Strickland, who carries his own sort of frustrations for a lot of people because they don't see him as being a viable headliner, despite the fact that this will be his third consecutive main event and fourth main event in his last five fights. He was certainly a good enough guy for Alex Pahea to go in there and fight and beat in order to earn a championship opportunity. So I don't see why he's incapable of being a headliner, but that's another part of the conversation for another day, perhaps maybe on Sunday, we'll bring that up in the next day takeaways. The thing that 
was interesting to me from the jump about Magomedov and sort of the, the pushback against him is that this isn't some dude that is 12 and one and hasn't fought anybody. This is a 32 year old man that is 25, four and one coming into this fight who fought a number of future or former UFC competitors on his way through the ranks, made it to the PFL finals against Lewis Taylor in the middleweight division a couple of years back, lost to Lewis Taylor in that million dollar fight. I've been hearing for the last couple of years how being in the PFL finals and, and being in that million dollar fight is a big accomplishment and the thing that I need to pay attention to and look at these guys. They're having great success. They could succeed in the UFC. Well, here's Abus Magomedov who is now here after being in a PFL final, 19 second win in his debut over one of those middling veterans, one of those struggling veterans. And I just don't see why we want to, especially in the middleweight division, have this dude fight two, three, four more times before he gets here. I say this with all due respect for the people I'm going to name here, and I'm just picking names from memory of fighters in the middleweight division, but I have no need to see him fight Gerald Mearshart or Julian Marquez, or even Marc-Andre Barrio for that matter. And Powerbar's coming off a good win against Eric Anders and has looked relatively good in his last couple fights. I am perfectly okay with doing this, with taking a fighter that has a wealth of experience that's coming off a dynamic performance in his debut and just throwing him into the deep end. Because here's the thing to me, we're going to find out on Saturday whether this dude can hack it or not. If Sean Strickland is that unfortunate bar that nobody likes of this is baseline contender in the middleweight division, we're going to find out on Saturday if Abus Megamedov is above or below that bar. And then we're not going to have to piss around with this anymore. We're not going to have to go through a whole bunch of fights where he's beating dudes that I'm pretty sure he's going to beat until we get here 18, 24 months from now where we have to then endure 18 or 24 more months of middleweight being the same that it has been for the last bunch of years. Folks are always talking about wanting to see and wanting to be introduced to and learn who these new fighters are that they should pay attention to. Here you go. I get that you haven't had a lot of introduction to him. I say this all the time, but it bears repeating. We are in an age and a time where getting info and getting highlights on these athletes has never been easier. There is a wealth of information at your fingertips, whether that is seeking it out yourself on YouTube or Fight Pass, whether that's jumping on Twitter and reaching out to some of the people that follow these things closely, that follow prospects and other promotions closely and can tell you about Abus Magomedov or some of these other athletes that you're unsure about. Or you can come hang out with yours truly. Because every single week, I will put out fight-by-fight fight preview and fighters on the rise at ufc.com. I will put out this show and 10 things I like every single week here on the Substack. You are welcome to come and get all of the information that you want. If you want to know about these people, there are ways to know about these people. And on Saturday, we are going to find out about Abus Magomedov. I would much rather this situation where a 32-year-old veteran with 25 wins in 30 appearances, waltzes into a fight with Sean Strickland, who I know as a baseline contender in the middleweight division. 
and we find out in 25 minutes or less whether this dude is somebody we've got to pay close attention to going forward or another guy that's going to fall into that 10 to 15 to 20 range in the middleweight division. Why we need to delay this is beyond me. Why anybody wants to see this guy go through two, three, four more fights before getting here where none of this is guaranteed doesn't make sense to me. I get that people want bigger names in main events, especially on fight night shows. I understand. I don't disagree at times, but Sean Strickland to me is a viable headliner for a show of this level, given what he's accomplished since returning from injury six and two in the middleweight division. The losses are Alex Pahea and Jared Cannonier, So a former champion and a former title challenger who is currently the bronze medalist in the division, nothing to hang your head about. That kind of guy should be able to headline these types of shows. And Abus Magomedov shouldn't have to go through three, four, five more guys in order to get here. Let's just see what happens. Because come Saturday, if this dude goes out and waxes Sean Strickland, or even beats Sean Strickland, which has proven difficult in eight fights since he's returned, then suddenly he's an interesting name that everybody's really going to want to learn more about. You've had the opportunity. People have talked about him. I have talked about him. Here's He's getting his opportunity. This is what I would rather see from the UFC rather than the same matchups between the same guys at the top of these divisions. Co-main event, Demir Magulov and Grant Dawson. My question is how far can Grant Dawson take this run? 7-0-1 in the UFC since coming through Contender Series was a highly regarded, vaunted prospect coming through the regional ranks, sort of the Midwest circuit, Victory FC and some places like that along the way. Looked really good since moving to ATT, where he transferred to a couple of fights back. Had the draw with Ricky Glenn, where he stumbled a little bit in the latter round, but a good overall performance. Subbed out Mark Madsen last time to hand the Olympian his first loss. Subbed out Jared Gordon before that has looked like a very interesting young fighter in the lightweight division and not young in the, like he's 24, 25, I believe he's 28 years old, if I'm not mistaken, but a young fighter that hasn't been into those deep waters yet, but he's getting into the deep waters on Saturday because Demirish Magulov, whether you know his name or not, this man is dangerous. He is highly skilled. He is highly talented. He had his 19 fight winning streak snapped last time out by Armin Saryukin. We all think highly of Armin Saryukin, or at least everybody here thinks exceptionally highly of Armin Saryukin. And he fought him for 15 minutes and it was a close competitive fight. Yes, he lost 30-27 across the board. Nothing to hang your hat about. That is a good fighter that you just lost to, a very good fighter at that that you just lost to. And prior to that, Ishmagulov posted wins over quality competition like Yoel Alvarez, like Tiago Moises, like Rafael Alves. He's a, he's a very good fighter, like Guram Kutataladze, who's on this card as well. Very, very good fighter, well-rounded, has dealt with some health issues that he now has under wraps. I spoke to him before this fight specifically about those things. He says, they're all good. We're ready to go. I want to see how I can do against this guy. They've got a little bit of familiarity with each other from training together at ATT or at least 
in the same room, not necessarily going together a large amount of reps. But Dawson is one of those guys that this is the test, right? I've never been sure how high he can go. I've never been certain. He's not a guy to me that feels like when I saw Ilya Tapuria run through Damon Jackson and do what he's done on this way up, you kind of got the sense and you kind of looked and went, yeah, that dude's going to be a problem. That guy's going to be a champion. That guy's going to be at the absolute least a bona fide contender relatively soon and for a number of years. I've never gotten that sense with Grant Dawson, but that doesn't mean he can't get there. We've seen athletes sort of just matriculate their way up the rankings and get steadily better along the way, right? Alexander Volkanovsky for a while wasn't a guy that necessarily felt like, hey, this is somebody that's going to be a champion. He just started posting wins and then beat Jeremy Kennedy and opens a few eyes. Beats Darren Elkins, opens a few more eyes. Beats Chad Mendez. Okay, my eyes are wide open now. Now I got to pay attention. Goes and beats Jose Aldo. And okay, this is, this guy's a problem. And then beats Max Holloway to get to the top of the division. And he hasn't left that throne since. Dawson may not be that kind of guy, but we just don't know. And that's a thing that always, forever will intrigue me, will get me interested in fights like this. You want to give me a guy that's under 30 and undefeated in the UFC against a tough as nails. Russian that is well-rounded, highly skilled, fought very good competition. I am all the way in. And I cannot wait to get some of these answers about Grant Dawson on Saturday. Next up, welterweight Max Griffin against Michael Morales. My question is, will Morales pass his first veteran test? And it is a serious test. Max Griffin is a better fighter then clearly some of the folks on Instagram understand. I posted my story with Max today. He shared it out. And man, there's some wildness out here on Instagram. Some folks that, that just want to say whatever they want to say. I don't ever see it because people don't comment on my posts. I ain't a famous UFC welterweight. But man, folks will just say some things. Folks that ain't done nothing will say a whole lot of things about people that step in a cage and fist fight for a living. It's wild to me. To this fight, though, Michael Morales, 2-0 in the UFC, undefeated 14-0 overall, graduate of the Contender Series, one of the members of Season 5 who really stood out that year and looked coming off the show like somebody that could grow into and graduate into being a problem. Jack Della Maddalena was another part of that, that class and another one of those athletes. And this ain't me picking results now. This isn't me playing results. Go back to the start of of 2022 it's all in there for you you can you can find the receipts they're there trust me this is a considerable step up in competition for michael morales debut against trevin giles gets him out of there in the first round adam fugit in the second fight on short notice gets him out of there in the third max griffin is a guy now that has 20 odd fights under his belt He's won four of his last five. He will tell you five of his last five. He believes he beat Neil Magny. It was a super close fight, razor thin, split decision loss. So even still four and one with a loss to a top 15 fighter in Neil Magny. And he's going to be a test for Michael Morales. This is, as I say every week, the stuff I am here for. You want to give me, again, similar to Dawson and Ishmagulov. You want to give me a young, promising fighter 
that I still have questions about, that we don't know where his ceiling lies, that we haven't seen really tested in there, and put him in there with a savvy, pissed-off veteran like Max Griffin, who's thinking, and as he said to me, I'm not the one. I ain't here to be a stepping stone. I'm still, I'm getting better. This is the best I've ever been, and I continue to get better. You want to give me matchups like that in the middle of a card like this, just on a on a ra- random Saturday in the dead of summer? I'm in for it. And I get that some people aren't, and I get that some people don't think as highly as Max Griffin as I do, and don't recognize the value and importance of dudes like Max Griffin. Or don't recognize the upside of someone young and talented like Michael Morales and see this fight as the third fight on the main card and go, oh, not good enough. It's good enough. You got to change. It's not, you need to change your perception. You don't have to, you can do what you want, but I'm telling you, you're missing out on quality fights if you look at this fight and scoff. This is a guy that is just outside the top 15 in Griffin taking on one of the better prospects in the welterweight division, it should be a tremendous fight. It is going to tell us a lot about each of these men and where they stand right now. And the winner is going to be fighting someone of substance at 170 in the second half of the year. So pay attention because when that fight comes up, you're going to wonder how we got here and it's through Saturday and it's through a bunch of stuff that you weren't paying attention to and you should have been. Move to the flyweight division, Ariane Lipsky against Melissa Gatto. My question is, was Lipsky's last effort real or a mirage? So she looked fantastic against JJ Aldrich. Best she has looked in the UFC. Quick hands, sharp, clean striking. Looked dynamic, looked tremendous. That was a fight where I was all the way wrong. I expected JJ Aldrich to go out there and jab the face off of her and just put it on her and overwhelm her. And it did not happen one bit. Lipsky controlled the fight from the start to the finish, looked fantastic. But I don't know if I can trust it, and that's why I'm interested in Saturday. She's still only 29 years old. She's training with Amanda Nunes at her Lioness studio in South Florida, one of the few athletes that Amanda wants to work with, right? We saw her on the Countdown show, and Amanda has talked about only having certain people in the room, certain people in the gym. She had a very good round in KSW. Violence queen, champion, a whole nine yards, fought good competition. A bunch of athletes that made it to or came from the UFC, including, I believe, Diana Belbitza, uh, Silvana Gomez-Juarez, uh, Sheila Gaff, I believe, was in there. I don't have a resume up in front of me right now, but I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. But she's been mediocre so far in the UFC. There's been high points, right? The knee bar on Luana Carolina, who fights later in the day, later in the card, I should say, not in the day, earlier in the day. But it's just, it's been middling. And she's been one of those fighters that has felt like somebody that thrived on the regional scene and a very good regional promotion at that, a very good second tier promotion in KSW, but couldn't hang and hasn't been able to hack it, hadn't been able to hack it in the UFC until that fight with Aldrich, which for me felt like a, everything changes. Now we hit the reset button. And so Saturday is the, second run of the of the experiment right when you get first results you can't just say hey we figured it out away we go you've got to do multiple tests to make sure they're valid to make sure that that is the actual result and so i want to see if she can go out 
and beat someone like Gatto, who is dangerous, suffered her first loss last time out against Tracy Cortez, who is a ranked fighter and a very good fighter on a nice little unbeaten run in the UFC. It's somebody that Lipsky cannot play around with, especially on the ground. So we're going to find out if it was real or just a one-off, a night that everything came together. Stars aligned. She had a great night. Aldrich had a bad night. We're going to find out because if it's real, she again starts to get interesting. Only 29. Flyweight is moving and shifting. There's some veterans that are sliding back. Some younger fighters that are moving forward. Could get interesting. Going to be more interesting if Lipsky is part of that equation. Back to the welterweight division, Ismail Bonfim and Benoit Saint-Denis. And my question is, hi, kids. Do you like violence? Shoutouts to Eminem. This is just going to be violence. This is just going to be violence. And I said welterweight division. It is the lightweight division. Saint-Denis fought at welterweight to start his, his UFC career and then has dropped back down. This fight is going to be bananas. Ismail Bonfim debuted in Rio de Janeiro at UFC 283 in January. Stopping Terrence McKinney. Everybody thinks highly of Terrence McKinney. Loads of talent, loads of upside. Hasn't necessarily been able to be consistent yet, but that is a very, very good win. Benoit Saint-Denis, since that debut where he caught a hellacious beating from Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos in Abu Dhabi, returned to lightweight, back-to-back wins. Nicholas Stolza, and I can't remember who the other one was off the top of my head right now, beat the hell out of both of them. Finished both of them. Put both of them away. Dude is action personified. He is on the Benoit Saint-Denis. He is one of the is fighting and I will watch kind of guys. I am on Saint-Denis Island with this dude. Not because I think he is going to be a championship contender, but because he's somebody that through three fights has provided me nonstop entertainment. Yes, the first one was as a punching bag. But the second two have been violent and fun to watch and enjoyable performances. And you want to pair him with the older half of the Bonfim brothers who went out in, in Rio at the start of the year and went back to back playing a little game. I'll here hold my beer. Come on. Like I get that folks want high stakes and rankings and all of those things. And that was going to be this, the topic of of Monday's podcast is that we commodify these things way too much. And we, we put them and break them down into way too many just numbers. And I know I've talked about it, but like, this is just going to be two dudes going out there trying to take each other's head off for as long as it lasts. And as I say, just about every week here, I thought that's what we liked. I thought we all at, at the start of this, when we first got into it and we didn't know nothing, we got into it because we liked watching fist fights. We liked watching MMA matches. We liked watching two people walk into a cage and beat the bloody hell out of each other. These dudes are going to do it. I get that they're not in the championship mix and some folks apparently only want to watch championship fights and big fights and guys with numbers next to their name but only certain people with numbers next to their name, not others, because it's a whole thing. But this is going to be a great fight. It's going to be entertaining. It's it's probably going to be fight of the night. And if it's not, one of them is getting a bonus because they're taking the other out in, in, quick, in quick fashion. 
And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Simple man, right? Every week, simple man. Fist fights, dogs, pizza. Let's go. Middleweight division. Narsultan Riziboov versus Bruno Ferreira. My question is, is Ferreira someone to watch at middleweight? So he came off the contender series where he had a good win, not a great win. Jumped in short notice at UFC 283 in Rio against Gregory Robocop Rodriguez and flatlined him. Like it was one of those shots that when it landed, we all knew we're done here. It was the MMA equivalent of a absolute no doubt about it home run. And from the time that shot landed, I have wanted to see Ferreira come back. Rizzy Boav jumps in on short notice. He trains out of the Daniel Gracie crew with the Daniel Gracie group. I should crew, I should say, in Philadelphia that includes Sean Brady and Joe Pfeiffer and Pat Sabatini, who got a good win a couple of weeks ago. He's looked okay on the regional circuit. He's looked solid on the regional circuit, obviously, to get the promotion here. Don't know a ton about him. Hard to get a real read on him. This is going to be an interesting fight. Has my attention for that reason. Get another read on Ferreira and an introduction really at this level to Riziboov. But Ferreira, if he is as dynamic as he's looked, if he is as powerful and impactful as he's looked through contender series, through the fight with Rodriguez, even before that, Dude has finished everybody he's faced. And so if that's real, at least 2A, this dude has fight-changing power potential, then he might be somebody we got to pay attention to. We talk about middleweight all the time. Sean and I on the state of the UFC, every time we do it, talk about this division. And the last time out, we said, look, middleweight's starting to get a little interesting. There's starting to be a few names. I put together my list of the 10 interest, most interesting fights for me over the coming month for the UFC website, it'll be out later this week. There's three middleweight fights on there that could reshape what the division looks like, and that doesn't include Ferreira here this weekend. Now, he's not jumping into the rankings with a win here, but he moves into that second 15, and then he's not far off. And then he's facing some of these veteran names that apparently everybody wanted Magomed, Magomedov to fight his way through. But, like, he goes out and starches this dude for a second straight win, a second straight stoppage win at that, we're starting to look at somebody that's interesting, that's got a little momentum that we need to pay a little closer attention to. I'm always going to be here for fights like that. I know that not everybody is. I know that a lot of people don't want to be looking two fights, three fights, four fights down the road, doing two-year plans, five-year plans for athletes. I get it. It's difficult. It's hard to keep it all in line. That's why you can come here and I will tell you on Wednesdays that you should tune into and pay attention to this dude. Here's why. I get that it's difficult, but there's people like me out here providing you with the information. Come and take advantage of it. Don't just sit there and complain that you don't know. This is going to be under an hour. This podcast, video version on YouTube, podcast on Substack or wherever you get your podcasts. Under an hour, top to bottom, know a little bit of everything about everybody stepping into the cage on Saturday. Want to know if you need to pay attention to somebody? Hit me up. I got you. That's what I'm here for. Move to the prelims. Stay in the welterweight division. Go back to the welterweight division, I should say. 
Kevin Lee and Renat Fakradinov. And my question here, I'm taking these pauses and I'm smirking a little bit. My question is, can Kevin Lee please just focus on fighting? Kevin Lee is a phenomenally talented athlete. He has been from the moment he walked into the UFC and went 15 minutes with Ally Aquinta. He has been throughout his career, which includes an interim title fight against Tony Ferguson, which tells you how far he got at one point, which includes the head kick knockout of Gregor Gillespie leaving him slumped against the cage at Madison Square Garden. But Kevin Lee, to me, feels like at times he is his own worst enemy. He moved up to welterweight, and before he even stepped in the cage, before he even got himself a win, he is on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani talking about, I am a top five welterweight. He hadn't beaten anybody. Called himself a top five welterweight. Went out and lost to Daniel Rodriguez. Now he got released from the promotion or asked for his release. I can't remember what the mechanics of all of that was. Went to Eagle FC, beat up old man Diego Sanchez in a, in a fight that I give zero value to. Don't care that you beat Diego Sanchez in the year of our Lord, 2022. And now he's back in the UFC, back in the welterweight division, back facing Renat Fakradinov, who is 2-0 in the UFC and has looked very good in those two fights. Just out wrestling and out grinding two guys in Andreas Michalidis and Brian Battle. And here's Kevin Lee on his media day talking about, I don't know why we're still at the apex. There's not going to be enough people here. I want to be performing in more pe- in front of more people than this. And I'm with you. I get it. I understand the desire to be on the road in packed buildings with thousands of fans screaming and yelling. I do not disagree with that. But my good man, can you please just go out and win a fight? Because this ain't easy. Saturday is not an easy win. This is no cakewalk. Fakradinov is a damn good fighter. And this is a very good test for Kevin Lee, the guy that forever said he was the best grappler in the, in the, in the UFC. Better grappler than Khabib. Khabib never fought a grappler like me. All right. Well, Renat Fakradinov is the best grappler you're going to face in the last few years. Go out and out grapple him. Go out grapple him. Go beat him. Go get a welterweight win. Then we can hear. Then I'm open to hearing all of the things you think about yourself, about how you should be promoted, about where you fit in the division. But go do it. When I was little, I knew that the state motto of Missouri, or I knew that Missouri was considered, was called the show me state. Because my dad used to look at me anytime I would say all of these things that I wanted to do and I was going to do and I'm going to do this and I was going to do that. He would just look at me and be like, he would just look at me and say Missouri. And I was like, huh? And he was like, it's the show me state. So show me. Don't tell me. Kevin Lee, Missouri. It's Missouri time. Show me. Show me something. Come out here and get this win. Come out here and look dynamic. Because if he does, he's still got plenty of time and tons of talent and tons of ability to go out there and have success and make a run and be somebody in this division. But you got to win fights. You got to do something of note in the octagon. And it hasn't been good lately. And yes, it's been against very good competition. But it's hard for you to say, I am all of these things when you can't get by any of that very good competition, you can't call yourself the best and say you would have beat Khabib if he stuck around. He, he left before he faced anybody. If you can't beat the guys that couldn't beat him, 
if you can't compete with the guys that couldn't even get to the guys that competed with him, go win on Saturday and then let's talk. Featherweight division, Joe Anderson, Bree two against Weston Wilson tagging in on short notice. And my question here is why does Bree, why has Bree two been fighting backwards? So contender series graduate from season five, part of that class of 2021 comes into the UFC last year, debuts with a loss to Bill Algio season vet. No shame in that. Pick that one right at the start of the year. Always going to remember that. Sophomore win against Andre Feely in 41 seconds. Former ranked guy, great win, right? Resets the expectation. Okay, that first win, maybe it's jitters. Bill Algio, awkward dude, fine. Beats Feely and gets booked against Melsic Bagdasarian, another contender series grad who had earned a victory or two at that point. Bagdasarian gets pulled. He gets a short notice replacement in Lucas Alexander. Defeats him, smuts him out in the first round. And then he gets booked here against Hussein Ashkabov, who's coming off a loss to Jamal Emers in his debut and didn't really look like he had a whole lot for him. Didn't make sense to me. How's this guy that's on a two-fight winning streak, two straight finishes in the first round, combined two minutes and 49 seconds? Yes, I've done the math. I remember it off the top of my head. And he gets booked against Hussein Ashkabov and now in against Weston Wilson. Like, what gives here? Does he have... Did he wrong somebody in the back? Has he said, I just want to fight whoever. I'm just looking to pile up names. Don't move me forward. This is a guy that beat, yes, by technical decision, but beat Diego Lopez on the contender series. Lopez subsequently, right? We remember, fought Mavsari Vloyev. Great performance. He's got a fight coming up. That is a step up in competition that is higher than and further along than Joe Anderson Britu is right now. And I get that because of the Vloyev fight, but Britu's posted wins. He's going to be three and one. There's a very good chance that he's going to be three and one after the weekend. And yet he is behind the guy that he beat in order to get to the UFC. I'm really curious to see what happens. Should he win? How he gets booked going forward? Because knocking out and stopping Andre Feely in 41 seconds is an accomplishment. It is a big deal. It is a good win. It normally, traditionally, historically has gotten you into a matchup against a ranked fighter, not into a pairing with Malsik Bagdasarian. So I want to see what happens. I want to know what's up here. Might have to press this one a little bit. Might have to ask some people what the deal is with Britu. Move to the featherweight division. Yana Santos versus Carol Hosa. My question is, can Hosa build on the third round of the Norma Dumont fight? I'm going to be frank with you. This fight is one of those fights that is just a fight. It's just a fight. They're both ranked bantamweights in a division that currently doesn't have a champion that has felt stale for two years, maybe even more. Amanda Nunes leaving certainly adds some freshness to the top of the division. We should get a championship matchup here at some point in the next couple months. I would imagine we will see that in the last couple months of the year to crown a new champion, but neither of these women are in that mix. Neither of these women are going to be fighting for UFC gold are going to be working their way into that top five in that division or in featherweight, whatever version of it exists now, which I think isn't going to last for very much longer. But we're still going to fight. So we still have questions. And my one for Carol Hosa, as I said, is can she build on that third round of the Norma Dumont fight? Thinking back and watching back that fight, it was one of the more frustrating performances because it was just like Carol Hosa couldn't get out of gear or wouldn't get out of gear. 
until the third round when she got out of gear, out of first gear and started having some success. And it just made you think like, what was the holdup here? What was the thing holding her back? Don't know those answers, but we'll see on Saturday if she can carry over that momentum, right? Maybe the third round just became finally she, she got that block out of her mind and got on with business and had success. Won the round on all three scorecards, did lose the fight, but has something to build upon. Santos is the kind of fighter that if you come out and pressure her and put it on her, you can have success. She's durable. She's tough. She's a veteran. It's going to be a competitive fight. This isn't going to be a cakewalk for either one of these women. I don't believe, but I just want to see if Hosa, who is somebody that always for, for a while felt like one of the few young talents in the division that could potentially build into something. I just want to see if she can, reignite that spark rediscover that that something and build off that last round her last five minutes in the octagon as she comes back for her second fight of the year on saturday lightweight division guram kutataladze as i said stepping in against elvis brenner and my question is where exactly does kutataladze fit in the lightweight division he is such a difficult guy to pin down because he doesn't fight very often. He has two fights in the UFC, both split decisions. One a win over Matoish Gamrot, which is a terrific win. The other a loss to Demir Ishmagulov, which is a loss that is going to continue to age well. Talked about Ishmagulov off the top. He was slated to face Jamie Malarkey a couple of weeks ago. Visa issues pulled him from the fight. Malarkey ends up in there with Muhammad Naimov, who knocks him out. We know how that one goes. Kutataladze has all of the weapons. You see him in there. You will see him in there on Saturday. And this is a dude that you'll be like, he's problems. He's problems. He's legit. He is right now a second 15 guy, and he has the skills and abilities to be a top 15 guy. But he just needs to, needs to fight more. He's faced good competition. He has a good record. He has solid weapons. He just needs to get the visa thing sorted out. He needs to fight more frequently. I don't know if that means he needs to join Marab Dwalishvili and Roman Delize as Georgians in Las Vegas. I don't know if that means he needs to just sort out whatever issues constantly plague him from getting cleared for visas to be able to come over and compete because he has the talent. He just needs to take advantage of opportunities. He just needs the chance to get in there and build momentum. When you're fighting once a year, it's impossible to really carry over true, meaningful momentum. I know that Eamon Zahabi was on here on a conversation with, talking to me about, even though I'm off for a year at a time, I don't feel like I lose momentum. I carry it over. And then came out in Vancouver, here in Vancouver, and showed that he can maintain it by knocking out a Ricky Ling in the first round. Great performance for AZ. But not everybody can do that and I would argue that if he had done it eight months earlier or six months earlier, that momentum would be even greater because we would know we would have that last fight in our head still. And we would know that in four to six months, we're going to see him again, or maybe eight months maximum, we're going to see him again. Whereas it feels with him and Kutataladze for that matter, it's going to be a year. It's going to be nine to 12 months. And it just, as much as we like these athletes, as much as we're intrigued by what they've done and impressed by what they've put together, it's hard to stay up for them 
and it's hard for them to maintain their place in the division when a year's worth of cards go by. 42 events roll through. A thousand fights roll through. It's not a thousand fights, but you know what I mean. 500 odd fights roll through. I want to see Kutataladze fight more. I don't think this weekend necessarily answers this question, but I think it reaffirms sort of the baseline. And if anything, I, I hope it lights a fire for this guy, for his team, for his people to get him out here more frequently because he has the skills to be a top 15 dude, to be a top 15 guy. He beat Matoish Gamrot in a close competitive fight. Gamer is a top 10 fighter right now. Ishmagulov is a top 15 fighter right now. He's run close with both of them. That's where you can be. Just compete more often. Get this sorted. Let's go. Move to the flyweight division or back to the flyweight division, I should say. Ivana Petrovich makes her UFC debut against Luana Carolina. And my question is, what will we get from Petrovich in her promotional debut? She is 29 years old, born in Bosnia-Herzegovina, trains in Denmark, I believe, Orion MMA with, sorry, Norway, Orion MMA with Martha Hamlin. She is the former Aries FC champ. That is a promotion from Paris run by Fernand Lopez of the MMA factory, coach of Cyril Gaon and Nazardine Imovov, amongst others. She is one of these athletes that you can't fault. You There's no way to, you can't overlook the undefeated record, but you also can't put a whole ton of stock in it because she's faced limited competition. And part of that is just a general state of regional MMA right now. And I don't mean that disparagingly, like Aries is a terrible promotion or any of that. It's just that there are so many organizations out there these days competing for talent that it's not like eight, 10, 12 years ago where winning the cage warriors title meant different than it does now winning the LFA title or at the time LFC meant different then than it does now. These belts are changing hands so quickly and the competition you have to beat in order to get there is so different and so varied from what it used to be in previous years that it's really hard to judge some of these athletes. You also get situations, and I'm not accusing Aries of this, I'm not accusing any promotion of this, but you do have promotions that are looking to get belts on certain people. And they just end up fighting favorable matchups or get hustled along a little bit quicker or whatever it may be. And again, I'm not saying that's the case with Petrovich. I'm just saying it's so hard to get a read on some of these, ath these athletes at times because we don't necessarily know what that 6-0 record really truly consists of because it's six fights against athletes that have three, four, five, maybe 10 fights if we're lucky. Now, the last win against Yulina Rojcik, I believe is her name. I should have this down. I, I apologize. Is a good win. Beat her in the fourth round. You get into championship rounds. You get a finish. I'll give you that one. But that's the one that is good. That's the one for me that is like, okay, that shows me something. This is a good fight. This is a good measuring stick fight. I know people are going to be like, how is Luana Carolina a good measuring stick fight? The fact that she's three and three in the UFC and kind of just a middle of the pack, legitimately, truly to the definition, average fighter 
is going to give us an opportunity to get that baseline on Petrovic. Go out and win this one, tells us one thing. Win it decisively, emphatically, tells us something else. Go out and struggle, that's a different read. Go out and lose, something else entirely. We're going to find out on Saturday where she fits. Be able to make a little bit better of a read going into the sophomore fight. Heavyweights open the show. Not often that this happens, but heavyweights open the show. Alexander Romanov against Blagoy Ivanov. My question is, which Romanov do we get on Saturday? So when he is focused and in shape and has a little bit of cardio and is able to go out there and do his things, he is good, man. He's looked good in some of these fights. Gone out there and manhandled folks. Wrestled him to the ground, hit him with the ground and pound. Hooked up some ridiculous submissions along the way. But in his last two fights, and even the fight with Juan Espino before that, a couple fights before that, he's kind of looked not great. And he's got, I don't know, three minutes of cardio in him, it seems, some of these fights. So he went out and had a good first round against Marcin Tybura and then was completely gassed and ends up losing that fight. Then gets booked in with Alexander Volkov, who comes out and is just like, yeah, no. Get out of here, buddy. Dispatches him inside of the first round. Right now, Rome. Romanov, to me, excuse me, is one of those guys that is a great hammer and a terrible nail. And that is the that is the truth for a lot of fighters. Great at being the hammer. Not so good at being the nail. Certainly like dishing it out. Don't necessarily like taking it as much. Two straight losses, as I said. Needs a win in a big way here. And Ivanov is not an easy out. This is not a dude to be trifled with. Yes, he has struggled overall in the UFC. It has been inconsistent. He hasn't really gone on a run, but he's also somebody that hasn't been beaten in dominant fashion by anybody. And he's been in there with good competition, right? The losses that he has, Derek Lewis, Junior Dos Santos, some of these good quality fighters that just can't get him out of there because the man is tough as nails and indestructible. As you will hear 97 times on the broadcast on Saturday, stabbed in the chest, didn't die, came back and fought. Here we are. And I'm not, I don't knock the story. It's just, we've all heard it by this point, by this time, several times over. And so I just want to see what Romanov looks like, right? Because we all rightfully got excited out of the shoot. We all got excited when he's putting together those wins early and he's forearm choking Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And he's hitting a key lock on somebody and he's showing these good fights. And then he turned up for one fight in great shape. Chase Sherman fight turns up in great shape. It's like, oh my God, this guy's figured it out. He's now in the top 15 and he's taking it even more seriously. And then he gets waxed by Marcin Tabor and, and Alexander Volkov. And, and here we are opening the show on Saturday in a tough fight where if you lose, you're probably bounced. And I don't say that because I'm looking for anybody to get released. That's just the reality of the situation. And so we'll see what we get from Romanov on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that one. Looking forward to this whole card. I think it is a good card. It feels to me, and I said this in writing, in talking about it on the Fight by Fight preview that is up on UFC.com, that is up on my Instagram and Twitter as well, which you can find there at the bottom of the screen, at Spencer Kite. This feels like one of those cards that just is going to sneak up on a whole lot of people. There's going to be a bunch of entertaining fights. There's going to be a bunch of Terrific finishes, great performances, people we want to talk about come Sunday and Monday. As we get into International Fight, we can get a lot to talk about next week. 
don't sleep on this card. If, if you've got plans, fine. I get it. It's the summer. Kids are out of school. Got to take advantage of these days when you have them. But don't sleep on this card. There's some good stuff here. You're going to see and learn a lot on Saturday. Before we get out of here, as always, plug the Substack, hit that QR code, come over to Keyboard Kimura on the Substack. The newsletter is published just about every day. Again, I apologize for Monday and Tuesday. You can subscribe for free for five bucks a month for 50 bucks for the year. Helps me put out stuff, helps me deal, get, deal with things in this office, helps me get some new equipment, put better, put more resources into putting out better materials for you to enjoy, to consume, to learn everything you need to know about the men and women stepping into the octagon every Saturday. Check out the boys at Wombone at Wombone Brand on Twitter and Instagram. Brand new drop today, the five-year anniversary Michael, the Tiger Michael, hit the, hit the shelves, hit the internet shelves, hit the figurative shelves. Go check it out. A new set of plaid blackout pants. They look tight. Still rocking it every day. It's the summer. I've got shorts. I walk, rocked the golf shirt on the golf course earlier in the week. So comfortable. Check them out. If you do, ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your order. I already plugged the Twitter and Instagram, so go check those out. Thank you for bearing with me this week. I promise I will be back tomorrow with 10 things I like about UFC Vegas 76. Until then, you are loved, you are appreciated, you are valued. Take care of yourselves, take care of one another. 